Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Let me talk to you quickly about the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God, and why it's so critical. The, 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 as we leave the Old Testament, the, the, the primary language being Hebrew, and some of it is in the wisdom literature, is Aramaic, but Hebrew predominantly. The understanding of glory is the weightiness and just the dense substance and heaviness of the presence of God or, or immeasurable substance of something. It's, it's abstract, okay? You can't really nail it down. As you come, oh, it also means the radiant splendor or majesty of a thing. You know, it's sort of that emanating, pulsating sense of, of essence. Again, it's an abstract definition. As you come to the New Testament, and you leave the, the Greek kebab, and you come to doxa and dokio, there's an, it carries the same connotation of this pulsating sense of radiating essence, the glory of the Lord. But there's something new that's attached due to the uniqueness of the Greek language, and that is opinion. The opinion of God. And, and see, these we can't reconcile. Once again, oh, three, four weeks ago, I talked to yet another Greek scholar. I, I call these PhD and doctor guys and bug them and say, help me reconcile this. And I say, you can't. There's no way. And I've, I've got article after article because I'm wanting to get to the understanding of that radiant splendor, sense of God's enveloping presence that you read all through Scripture right to the end of the Bible, the glory, the essence, the, the subjective manifestation of God that was at work at creation. It was manifested in intensity in the tabernacle and the temple. We see it radiated through the life of Christ. We see it right straight through the end. It is that subjective presence of the Lord that fills a place like this that the holy God is enthroned and his glory just penetrates a moment. It's an indescribable thing. I've said before, glory is what holy does. The, the wholeness of God begins to penetrate us with a sense of his wholeness. With a, I mean, just shot right through like some uh, uh, penetrating light mechanism we don't even have the technology for. Because when we see him face to face, and Bible says, at the end, we will be glorified. We will be filled up. There will be this unbroken penetration shot through with this radiant presence of God where we will be like him and scripture says we will know as we are known. Oh, am I looking forward to that day. I am looking forward to that day. We come to moments in life that wear us out and I'm reading these because I don't want to... in addressing life's realities, when you stand here, you have to be sensitive to that hair-thin line that crosses over to where you're using someone's pain as an anvil on which to hammer out something to say. That's not what's happening here this morning, beloved. This is fresh and brand new. People have left the planet Friday afternoon, Saturday morning. I mean, and, we have other people, you know, just we're praying and more than ever, which is why I was going to talk on prayer this morning. Boy, we need to more than ever dive in. But, but listen to these words. I'm, I'm going to read because they were written four years ago. 
and listen how they apply to this moment. It's in moments of the deepest of life's complexities that we seem to draw final conclusions about matters of life and God. I want to say that again, because if you were to poll people in this room and get their strongest opinions about who God is or isn't, or the peaks of their faiths or the valleys of doubt, you are going to find they're each associated with a moment in life that catalyzed that. In those moments, we came to those whatever determinations they are, however low, however high, however in between. It's in those moments. And, and okay, I'll get to that in a moment. You know, uh, quote, is there really anyone out there listening or watching? And I, I hear, I, I don't mean the big ones such as the Twin Towers and 9-11 and the Holocaust of World War II. Again, these are words written four years ago, but I mean the daily personal ones that don't appear on international headlines, those issues. When someone dies a young death of, of cancer, or someone dies who was a good person, when a husband or wife just decides to leave after a decade or two or three, or when it appears that wrong wins and right loses, and our sense of justice is, internal sense of justice is fractured or fragmented, or when we just can't make sense of it. Hear me this morning. In Exodus chapter 33, I, I don't have time to read all of it. It's a lengthy reading, and I'll find the link to the whole message where we, we went through it from three or four years ago. But Exodus 33 is noteworthy because in 32 is where something that we've heard, even if you don't know the Bible, you've heard the phrase golden calf. It's one of those co-opted terms that culture has grabbed. And now they use, you know, that's a golden calf, meaning that's something that you idolize, okay? So this is the chapter right after that. God has looked down. Moses is on the mountain in chapter 32 as well, getting the instructions for the tabernacle of worship, a place of encounter with God. He's receiving the, what we know to be the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. And God says, by the way, uh, those guys down there have lost their mind. Worship's just gone crazy. Moses comes down, judgment is issued, people die. In the aftermath of that, God says in chapter 33, he says, um, listen, you just go on ahead. I'm not going with you, but I'll, I'll send angels with you to, to go before you. Let's see. And God, and ultimately Moses would say later, he says, you know, if your presence won't go with me, then don't lead us from this place. Boy, there's so much that needs to be read, but well, watch this. But he said in verse 14, God is speaking, my presence shall go with you. I'll give you rest. He said, but then Moses said, remember, he said, my, I'm not going to go with them. He said, my presence will go with you. Well, watch this. But then he said to God, Moses said to God, okay, if your presence doesn't go, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from this place. God said, I'm going to go with you. Moses said, that's not the deal. 
That's not the one we made back in Exodus 3. And again, there's so much more to be discussed here about can the mind of God be changed or what's going on. And forgive me for not having the occasion to to delve into that because this is one of those passages. But it's safe to to, to say that the first thing we know foundationally about God is that he is all-knowing, crosses time and space. And so that really casts a shadow across this conversation because it's not as though God was uncertain about the outcome of this conversation and where it was headed. That's why I say, watch, listen to this. One of the six or eight primary definitions for worship for me is God joining me in the exploration of my soul and God allowing me the exploration of his heart. That's what worship is. That, that, that's one of my five or six, and I, that's, that's one of my favorite ones too. Worship is God joining me in the exploration of my own soul. What, he's doing it right here with Moses. He did it with Abraham. When he said to Abraham, sacrifice your son and blah, 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 and he gets there and God holds his hand, he goes, and now I know. We've gotten the chance to walk in the exploration of your soul together to come to the determination, obviously, that he was very much aware about. But then again, that's how I see scripture. <laughs> The conversation goes on. It says, for how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Watch what he wrestles with, verse 16, and your people. It's not by going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people. Beloved, please hear me. It is the presence of God that distinguishes us from everyone. We face the same crazy stuff the same mental battles, the same emotional assault. We live in the same culture. We ride the same roller coaster of politics and finance living in the United States. We see the same things and experience the same horror and, 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 and sort of gut punch in, in seeing what's going on in places like Afghanistan and, and, and around the world. And, and it's like, oh, you know, Dear Lord, what is going on? We face all of those, but the thing that will get us through the moment, I'm going to go ahead and give it away, is not cognitive reasoning or cerebral dissection or logical rationale taking it apart and laying it out in some forensic fashion. It is the presence of God. It is the presence of God. There are moments, I'm a thinking person who by testing has a pretty high IQ. But I don't come to God first with a mind. I come to God first. He says, let me touch your heart. I can change your mind. Hebrews says that. I bring him my heart because there are things in this life I will not resolve with my mind. You're a good, good father. Really? It's who you are. Why is this issue so much? And then we sang the reckless love song in in the verses that it, it talked about that he's been good. Eleven times in the opening chapters, chapters one and two of Genesis, the word good is used to describe God and what he's doing. You are aware that God can't do anything apart from who he is. Listen listen to me. I'm going to drop several things and don't ask for the notes because most of what I'm saying is not in them. If you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, especially the first six verses, you'll discover that it opens the door. Faith is believing God is above God can. Now, now we see that in the language of disclosure. 
What do you mean the language of disclosure? The first place that God discloses who he is is in a conversation about worship. He's telling Moses, I want you to bring my people out. We're going to take another shot at worship. Bring them to this mountain. And he says, who are you? He says, I am that I am. See, until we come to the point that God am, no matter what else happens or what he does or doesn't do, he still am. Hebrews eleven six now says that faith is a uh, uh, is the ev- excuse me uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God here's faith faith and belief must believe that He is in every translation I'm aware of. There's a semicolon there, and that He is the rewarder. That is He is He is the rewarder it means He does. But beloved, at the essence of the test of our faith is right here in this sentence. When the God who can doesn't, do we still believe he is? See, because we said faith is believing he can. And so when we exercise all the faith toward a God that can, but in an instant, the God that can doesn't, is he still the am? Is he still my am above all else? And in that conversation in Exodus 33, Moses has one of those, and they're going back and forth about the merits of this. And right in the middle of the conversation, and again, I'll get you the link so you can hear the whole setup. It's sort of fun. It says, um, verse 17, then the Lord said to Moses, I'll do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And in the middle of the conversation, almost non sequitur, verse 18, Moses does this. Moses said, show me your glory. That phrase doesn't even fit in the conversation. It's, um, none of this conversation makes any sense. I, you read the earlier verses. I, I'm not even sure I still know your name or that you know mine. And All right, God, yesterday on the mountain, in those moments that I had at the burning bush, you ended 40 years of me wandering in a place with no name as a failure. When you called me onto holy ground and I first touched glory, it transcended everything. I have a stuttering problem I shouldn't speak. The last time I tried to lead 40 years ago was an abysmal failure, and now you want me to lead people out and go right back to the people who all know my failure and have, by the way, a death warrant out on me. But I was touched by your glory, and it made me walk into things that I thought I had better sense than to walk into, namely, like Pharaoh's house again much less walk in and start making demands of a man who has a, a death warrant out for me. Any, anybody getting this conversation? And, and Lord, yesterday on the mountain, your glory, and now show me your glory. Romans chapter 8 i got to go back here because I don't have this one. Matt, could you drag my table out here with my computer on it? Romans chapter 8. I think it's verse 31. Gabe, help me out. I'll send you these, son. So I'm putting him on the spot. What shall we say to these things? Here we go. 
if God is for us, who is against us? Back up to the verse before. This would be good reading it in reverse order. One more verse, the first part of it, please. Thank you. For those whom he foreknew, watch, that's us. Read the earlier verses. He also predestined, because he foreknew, to become conformed to the image of his son. Did you know that's the purpose of salvation, is the continual conformity and growth to reflect the image, the reflected image, reflected image of his son, which is why it's when Paul would write 2 Corinthians 3 about us being transformed glory to glory into his image. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Then here it comes, watch. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Two times earlier in the passage, it says creation is waiting for glory. But he said, I want you to know that in the midst of everything. Now, why is this important? Glorified. See, as you come to the New Testament, watch, 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 watch. It's not just the radiant sense of God's presence shining through us, but it's the opinion of God somehow deep in our soul beyond all the surrounding stuff that's telling us you prayed the prayer and they didn't get healed. You fasted and they still died. You, you're facing this situation. There doesn't appear to be the outcome that you're wanting to come. But I want you to know, because that is the situation that Romans 8 is describing. This earth and turmoil, groaning, we're groaning, we're facing stuff. But it says the Holy Spirit begins to groan with us. Now... When God, just stay right there, Gabe. Matter of fact, get ready, I think, to go back to like verse 26. Just get that ready. But jump with me in your mind, everybody else. I'm not going to have him go back. When God responds, he says, all right, I will pass by you. You're going to see the backside of me. You can't handle it if you saw my face. So I'm going to let it. I'm going to let my glory pass by you and watch what he says. And when it does you will know that I am powerful. That is not what it says. And when it does, you will know that I am awesome. That is not what it says. It says when my glory passes by, you will know that I am good. In the deepest moments of our life, when we're wondering if my faith even works, can it last till tomorrow? Our prayers heard, is God good? Do you understand the primary attack, watch me please, of the, of the evil one that started is 11 times in the first two chapters, God said, I did this and it's good, it's good. There's no greater descriptor that God wants to establish at the beginning than I'm a good God. And he does it over and over and over. And why do you think the adversary slithers in and says, Hey, uh, 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 we need to talk because God's got trying to trick you. Let's let's just have a conversation about this tree. Here, here's what He knows. He knows that when you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened. Watch, and you will know good, and you will be come. Do you get that? That the greatest. The, the, the primary effort of the adversary is to separate us from the goodness of God and to give us our own sense of the godness of good. I can establish what's good. 
I don't need him to do that. He's not the source of it. If you don't think that it is a primary mission for the glory essence of God to leave us with this sense of you will know I'm good, why would he pick that? Because the first and foremost attack on humanity was, listen, if I'm going to get your attention and lure you away from the Garden of Eden, this unbroken, unmitigated place of worship and encounter, here's what I got to do. I got to plant the seed that this God that you walk with every day, that created everything you think is the bomb diggity, he's not all that good. As a matter of fact, you can find good in another place other than God. Do you understand that that is the religion of culture? You don't need God for good. You can find good without God, but we serve a good God who established that from the beginning. And the greatest moments of testing our faith will be found as we wonder in God, are you still good? And he says, give me a minute. I'm bringing my glory. Give me a minute. I put that glory in you. And it's not an accident. You want to see the language? Watch, watch. You think that's not what it's about? Watch Romans 8, 26. Go back there, please. Gabe, follow me through that. We're going to work our way back to this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should. Anybody been there? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Ever in your life? Come on. We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself, by the way, this Spirit that I just found this week, 1 Peter chapter 4, only place in the Bible, Peter calls him the Spirit of glory. Woo! Turn and tell somebody... The Spirit of God lives in you. Now look back at him and say it out loud. Point your finger and say, and you get the glory too. We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Isn't it great to know that when we don't have the words, he does? Isn't it great to know when you're standing in the shadow of that next assault on your faith, and saying, Father, I fasted and I prayed. Where were you? God, I don't know what I'm going to do because if you're not the good God I believed you to be, I don't know how i live. I don't know how I'll take a next breath. I don't even know what to pray. And it's in that moment the spirit of glory steps in. He puts his arms around. He says, take a break. Let me pray for you. I represent your words. I'm here to stand with you. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Watch, watch. Here comes the verse. You forgot it was here. And we know that God causes all things to work together. Indulge me, don't, because you know this verse, so don't finish in your head. You know that God causes all things right now to work together the same way that he caused them to work together when he said, let there be light and it was good. When he said, let there be water, and it was good. When he said, let there be animals, and let there be humanity, and it was good that God causes all things to work together for the same way he started in the beginning. He hasn't changed his mind for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. This isn't done, watch. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now remember, there's groaning and moaning in these first verses. Go back to verse 16. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those who he called, he justified. And you who he justified, righteousized by the blood of Jesus Christ, he is glorified. Can I just add Tom's interpretation? 
Unlike Moses, you don't need to wait for a burning bush and for glory to come from somewhere out there. Unlike Moses, you don't need to ascend the mountain and find the glory of God somewhere over there. Unlike Moses, you don't have to pray for a manifestation within the temple because the glory he found externally, I've put inside you. I put it in you. I put it in you. I'm not bringing it from any place else. I'm going to call it to well up within you. I saw my little hundred pound mom after fasting and praying. We all did for years for my brother to be healed from HIV AIDS. She's by his bed when her baby breathed his last. I'm a strong guy, I'm a Marine, I'm tough. I think I ran over five or six people and they said, he doesn't have but minutes and I crossed about 15 miles of, of traffic, I don't know, I think in a nanosecond. Don't know how many people I killed along the way or palm trees I took out in Fort Myers. When I got there, he was gone. I walked over by his bed. I'm the son. I'm the pastor. I'm the strong guy. I got to carry it for everybody else. But I wasn't doing good that day. And the warrior in the room was a 100-pound woman with decades of prayer and the glory of the Lord. <laughs> She had a real healthy account stashed away. I think ready for anything. She put her arm around me. She's patting me while I'm crying. It's going to be okay. He's with the Lord. It's going to be okay. He's where he needs to be. He's going to be okay. You see, you would look at her, and I watched her in the days ahead, and I begin to think she doesn't understand the five stages or seven stages of grief. Clearly, this woman is broken. <laughs> She's living in denial, and I've got to have her come to terms with it. <laughs> now, there'll be those listening who are in the behavioral sciences, or someone will say, dude, you can't defy the stages of grief. God can do whatever he wants. And can I tell you, when we have a visitation of glory, it trumps everything. Amen. Show us your glory. Show us your glory. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.